The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Most gracious and ever-living God, we give you thanks and praise at this time as we gather together here and as we remember and rejoice and give thanks for who you are and the way in which you've sought us in the gift of Jesus, your Son, who is our rock and our redeemer. We thank you, of course, today, uh, Lord, for your servant Frank, uh, for uh, his family, uh, for Jane and Frank, most gracious God, and we pray that in the time we spend now that you might enable us to share with them uh, the love that we have for them and the thanksgiving we have for that which they have shared with us these years. So be in the midst of us, we pray, directing God us and during this time continually draw us to you and to one another. And all this we ask in the name of your Son, who is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, in a stroke of delicious irony... Um, I get to be the timekeeper um, for Frank's last Sunday. Uh, and it's just, God is good, but today's especially good. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. I, and I've, I've gotten actually very specific times. And, um, you know, I'm just so grateful that mine are really approximate. Um, just kind of suggestions uh, as we gather. And, I, and I'm really just enormously grateful uh, as I look out and I, and I see so many of you, and I'm just very grateful um, that y'all have gathered to hear what I have to say today. Uh, and I'm just very grateful um, for, for that also. We'll take a little time this morning and hear uh, from some of the different people of the Advent. And obviously during this time, there's not the ability to uh, succinctly share with Frank and Jane um, how grateful we are for you, how much um, we love you, how much you've meant to us. Um, we wanted to do kind of a Dean Martin celebrity roast thing, um, but the uh, legal department really sort of suggested we be in the nave, and that was well played, um, probably best. We don't want this to end up like a Seinfeld episode. We're all in jail um, at the end after the things we revealed and said, so we're going to keep it... Um, we're going to keep it in the nave um, this morning. And uh, as we do so, invite Cameron to come forward at this time. So um, when, when we were talking about this event, I uh, was told that uh, this was a roasting. And so I was thinking about you know potentially funny or entertaining stories that I may tell, but all of them have a punchline that involves profanity. So I can't really uh, I can't really tell any of them. Um, I wanted to talk about the influence that Frank has had on me and how far-reaching his influence is. Uh, we had an intern who worked here for a year, and he, after working at the Advent, moved down to Mobile. And he sent me a letter talking about how the influence, how the the Advent had formed him. And the last thing he said was. I, I, he now he was teaching a, a Sunday school and a Bible study in Mobile, and he said, the one thing that was impressed upon me is that every single lesson I teach, I must find a way to tie it back to the cross and to tie it back to the ad, to, to the to the gospel, or I have failed. And I said to myself, the ghost of Frank Limehouse has made its way down to Mobile. Because the ghost of Frank, Frank Limehouse is always on my shoulder when I'm teaching, and it's always uh, on my shoulder when I'm training people. And I always say we must always explicitly bring things back to the gospel. So with that being said, um, one time Frank and I were talking about 
uh, the gospel and youth ministry and how Frank was so committed to and so passionate about kids coming up in our church knowing that Christianity is not about following rules, it's not about being a nice person, but it's about understanding that Christ died for their sins and that by God's grace they are free people, fully forgiven, fully accepted by God, and that that would be the foundation of their life and that that would be their impression of Christianity. So we were talking about this, and Frank had uh, Michael Horton's book, Crisis Christianity, sitting on the table. And he picked, and that book's about the crucified Christ at the center of ministry. And he said, I want to do a conference for youth ministers, and I want it to be about one thing. And that is the message of the crucified cross. And so we started to organize this conference, and um, I'll just say that for the first year, it was just an absolute epic failure. Um, we, I mean, we couldn't get anyone to come, and we were hemorrhaging money. And I would wake up at 3 in the morning and go through the Excel spreadsheet to see how much money we were losing. And it wasn't just that we, were lo- we weren't losing budget money. We were losing his discretionary money. So I was particularly uh, anxious and stressed out about this. And anyone else would have pulled the plug. But uh, Frank stuck, stuck, stood by it, stuck with it, and we, we did that conference. And um, I didn't think we'd ever do it again, but we've done two since then. And then we started a blog. And the whole, the whole purpose of this conference and the whole purpose of that, uh, that blog, all which is called Rooted, is to promote the gospel at the center of youth ministry. And I can tell you that people from over 25 states have come to these conferences since then. This past year, over 10,000 youth ministers from all over the world came to our blog And we have received letters in the last year from South Africa, from Ireland, from Scotland, from England, from Australia, from people all over the country who are just so grateful and have been so influenced by this message of the gospel at the center of youth ministry. And that, my friends, flows, of course, first and foremost, from the Holy Spirit and from the Lord. But it flows out of the ministry and the convictions of Frank Limehouse. And I just, I don't think, he would never tell you that. He would never brag on it. But I just want you to know to see how far-reaching his influence is and how far-reaching his commitment to the gospel is. Unlike the other clergy that are currently here, you might know that I am not from South Carolina, and I have never been from South Carolina, which means that I didn't know Dean Limehouse before I came to the Advent in the fall of 2012. And so after I had been invited by Joe Gibbs to send a resume for the open position here, I thought I'd better learn more about the man who would be my boss if I came. And how better to get to know someone than to listen to them preach. Thank goodness for our website. And as I listened to sermon after sermon, I heard Frank preach the gospel so precisely and consistently that I knew that this was an opportunity that I could not walk away from. I knew that I wouldn't have much time with him before he retired, and yet I knew that that time would be worth it. And it hasn't been much time. It's been shorter time than I would have liked, but that's all God's timing. But I am grateful for the time with you, Frank. And I valued Frank's helpful hints on how to improve my sermons, really and truly. And it is the fear of God or the fear of Frank that has instilled in me the importance of timeliness, even if that doesn't always show. 
And I know more about keeping short accounts, about prioritizing the thing on my to-do list that I am most dreading. I have learned how to speak Southern a little bit. <laughs> For example, pen is, has two syllables, pan. <laughs> and that is it on means, I should say, is it own? Well, there's something else. Um, well, first of all, just thank you. Thank you for being the man of wisdom that you are. And thank you for sharing that wisdom with me in this time. And I look forward to more. I also, you might have noticed that I startle easily. And so the first time, Frank, that you startled me was in our very first clergy gathering. Um, we were all sitting around dinner, and I was, I didn't know you all very well at all. Didn't know you hardly at all. And you said to me, now, Deborah. If you happen to find yourself in jail, which of the four of us, and you know, all the clergy smiled at me, would you call first? <laughs> I have to admit, I was startled into my honest answer, which was you, of course. And you said, well, why? And I said, well, I would call you first because I think you have the lowest anthropology of the lot of them. And it's true. I think that you have the most accurate and realistic understanding of human nature and our human fallenness in sin. That you would not think that I was above being put in jail for something I'd done. So thank you for that freedom from condemnation when I sin or when I fail because I really need it. And so you're going to Clemson, but you'll know that if you uh, I hear the phone ring and I'm on the other end and I say, Frank, I only have one call, <laughs> you'll know what to do. I'll miss you. We'll hear from Brian Helm in, in just a moment. One of the things that we did was write to some people that have been uh, a significant part of Frank's life over the years, and we received some wonderful, wonderful responses from them. And going to read some of those in between our speakers. And before Brian comes up, I share a portion of a letter that we received uh, from Fitzsimmons Allison and his words on to Frank. Uh, uh, dear uh, Frankie, uh, bless his heart. Um, that's, <laughs> that's actually not what he said, but I'll tell you what he actually did say. Um, he, he really said, he really said this. Um, All who knew and were led by Frank Limehouse were privileged to hear the unadorned gospel, the good news of acknowledged sin. And the grace that gives birth to forgiveness and gratitude. He says uh, the, this type of preaching in our culture, quote, requires great courage. Courage from such a winsomely accessible and lovingly vulnerable person as Frank is rare courage indeed. It makes him not only deeply admired, um, but easy to love. I was going to use my time this morning to, to do both humor and heartfelt, uh, but I realized I didn't have time to do both, so I decided to go with humor. 
for, for me, that was an easy decision, especially as far as Frank is concerned. He's such a jolly person. Uh, so here's a story about Frank Limehouse, the prankster. You may remember that Joe Warren had a beautiful uh, little Volkswagen Beetle convertible. Uh, I think it was bright red. Anyway, Joe drove it to work one beautiful day in early summer and parked it out uh, in the parking lot with the top down. And Frank arrived a little later. You know where this is going, don't you? <laughs> Frank arrived a little bit later and pulled in next to it. When Frank got inside the building, he burst into Joe's office and with great excitement and a completely straight face told Joe, Oh my gosh, some huge bird just bombed your car. It splattered all over the seats and the dashboard. It must have eaten a ton of ripe berries. It's just awful. Well, Joe vaulted out of his chair, moving very quickly for a man of his size and age, ran to the nearest restroom, grabbed a handful of paper towels, soaked them in water, and rushed outside to begin what he knew uh, would be an arduous and unpleasant cleanup. When he got outside, of course, he realized it was all just a cruel joke. There was no bird. There were no ripe berries. There was no mess at all. Now, this struck me as a particularly mean and childish prank. And I was very disappointed to see the all-too-obvious pleasure that it gave the day. I tell you the story of Frank and the whoopee cushion, uh, but I'm out of time. Cameron, I realized that I was one of the speakers of that first epic fail of a youth conference. I wondered why I hadn't gotten invited back, but now it's all clear. Um, I also think that some of my comments might be inappropriate, so I apologize now. Um, Frank, no one says, ah, hell, with the same depth of feeling and with an uncanny ability to ready fit that ah, hell to any situation in life. <laughs> I've actually found myself saying that at times with a kind of low country South Carolina accent. <laughs> It's caught on. But I think in part, Frank, why you can say all hell uh, with such force is, beca is because it comes from a deep and sometimes jarring honesty. And while some wives might ask their husbands before a dinner party to be anything but themselves, one of your favorite New Yorker cartoons, Frank, you don't know how to be anything but yourself. I've always been drawn to that. Um, one of our favorite Frank Limehouse stories in the Genelette home uh, happened last Maundy Thursday. We hadn't been to a Maundy Thursday service before at Advent, 
And we unwisely brought our three little boys. I feel badly to this day for the popes who sat behind us. Um, that's a chanted service, and you did a lovely job chanting. It was beautiful. But for those of you who know uh, Frank, Frank's not really a big fan of chanting and the liturgy. Uh, neither are my boys, as it comes to, <laughs> as we found out. So my wife and I made a strategic decision in the middle of the service as two of them were sprawled out in the floor that we would take communion and then we'd bolt out. So we took communion and we headed out the door here. And who did we find leaving as well? <laughs> there was Frank and Jane on the way out. And Frank uh, asked my son Jackson, who can be honest himself, Jackson, my middle son, what'd you think of that? And Jackson said, well, I thought it was boring. <laughs> and Frank says, well, Jackson, I'm 69 years old and I kind of thought so too. You see, my six-year-old at that on that night saw authenticity in his pastor, and I don't think he'll ever forget it. So when folks in various contexts have asked me about your retirement, Frank, and they've asked a lot, I tell them, I miss him already. Now, Frank asked me to write out a job description when I first started here in my role and in it, one of the bullet points was meet for breakfast or lunch once a month with Dean. Um, I haven't known you very long, Frank, but I've felt drawn to you, bound to you in friendship very fast. And I asked myself this week why. And I think this is the answer, or at least part of it. Here's a man toward the end of his ministry who has been sustained in that ministry, not by the force of personality or the giftedness of leadership or outstanding oratorical skills, though I think you obviously have all of them. But this is a man whose life and his ministry is sustained by Jesus. And that's had a gravitational pull for me, Frank, and I miss you already. Thank you, Mark. Before Gil comes forward, Frank, I share a short uh, excerpt uh, from a letter we received uh, from, uh, from John Howard. Uh, you've been my stalwart friend and ally along the way. As you depart from Advent, I uh, thank you for one very specific gift which you have shared with me. Your keen insight and understanding of human brokenness and need and of God's response to it. In short, uh, I thank you for your proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for that and for our friendship, and for all your life and ministry, I say, thanks be to God. Frank, of the many, many things I think I'm going to miss about you, I'm going to miss uh, what in the last few years has become our annual trip, uh, bookstore trip where we'd go to a Christian product expo and and uh, and one of my great regrets in thinking about today is that I didn't buy something we saw last time it was something like a big 12 inch ceramic heart big bright red heart I guess it was a Christmas ornament but it was probably suitable for prom as well because cut out of the heart was you know it was cut out and had the three crosses and the three nails, but then on the nails was hanging a Christmas wreath, and then underneath it it said, when life gives you lemons, or something like that. 
these great, you know, penetrating Christian symbols uh, that I would want to just hurry by and uh, and go do something else. And inevitably, I would turn around, and there you were talking to the vendors. You know, to my great consternation and frustration. And I would go up to you, and of course, you'd be talking to them about the gospel, asking them, "Where's the gospel in this? You know, where could this be?" Which then put me back into my place very quickly. But I still wanted to get on and do the stuff that we came to do because we weren't going to buy that for the store. Um, I also thought of uh, the several times. I remember one time in particular in staff meeting where I would sit next to you and I would feel uh, this unusual attention that you were paying to me. And my fantasy began that you were in tune with me and were, were, uh, were feeling a burden for my burdens and that you were praying for me. And sure enough, you'd reach over and, and grab my pen and a piece of paper and you'd write me a note. And I thought, gosh, what a pastor to me. This is a good man. Uh, and true to form, you'd slid it over and I opened it up expecting you know, something profound. And, and you simply asked, where did you get your shoes? <laughs> Which is May May knows. I have no idea. They're 15 years old. So. I don't think that happened once, but probably several times. But within all of that, I am going to miss you so much, Frank. Um, I really am. Uh, I, in thinking about today, I thought of your first sermon. Uh, preached here, obviously. Uh, where I was standing in the back, and you preached it on Romans 8, and then going backwards, had to get into Romans 7. And when you began to describe, especially towards the end, the sinful preoccupation that a man brought forward to the communion rail, and the conversation that you had with him, and the profound grace that you shared with him, that there would be no condemnation even at such a holy place as the rail, I turned and I thought, my God, my God, you have provided for us yet again. Warm, compassionate, insightful, Prayerful. I think your prayerfulness has been impressed upon me. Uh, but more than anything else, as I've been thinking about this time, I have been overwhelmed. And I think that's not too far of a word. Overwhelmed with a profound but simple gratitude. Gratitude to God that He provided you at this time for this church. But then fully aware of my own selfishness and self-interest. Gratitude to God that He provided you to me at this part of my life and ministry here. You've been so many things to me, a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, a mentor, dare I say even a friend, um, but most especially a miserable offender. (laughs) A miserable offender in whom there is no health except for the imputed righteousness of Christ. And it is for that witness and that witness alone, witness alone, that for me, I am profoundly and immensely grateful. Um, Frank, I'm going to miss you so much. A man of real courage and deep affection. Uh, I'll miss you with deep affection. Thank you, Frank. look at you because I'll start to cry. (laughs) I'm going to miss you so much. And that serious side of Frank, uh, I'd like to touch on that because I've always known, sometimes I've gotten so angry at him, but I've always known that whatever is on my heart, I could come to him and 
whatever he thought was on, he was going to give it to me straight. He was going to give it to me straight, whether he thought it was going to hurt me or whatever. I don't know that he ever thought about it, but I knew I would get it straight from him. So I thank you for that, and I'm going to miss you terribly. And I like to close with our Lord's word. Behold, I sent an angel before you to guard you on the way and lead you to a place which I have prepared. First time I ever met Frank was at a um, at a wedding reception, and I introduced myself, and and he looked at me, and he, and Gil had mentioned the shoes, and he looked at my suit, and he said, "That's a Southwick suit." I said, "Well, it is. I'm just glad I wasn't wearing something like from the men's warehouse or something. <laughs> I made sure I had on my on my good suit." <clears throat> Gil also mentioned um, about some trips with Frank, and I have been on some trips with Frank, uh, particularly to. Uh, the diocesan convention and a couple that I remember one in, in, in Huntsville um, the, the convention you, you had to arrive on Friday morning to check in and and, uh, and Frank had gone on Thursday so when I arrived at the hotel I saw Frank and I said um, I said well how you doing and he said well I'm just I'm, I'm a miserable sinner and I'm like well, you need to tell me something you know did you do anything last night that you need to talk to me about um Another is uh, we were at uh, at the convention in Montgomery, and uh, we went to a restaurant for lunch. And there were a group of us, delegates and, and clergy, and the, the waitress was very nice, and she was talking to us, and, and she said, okay, she said, well, 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 I'll start taking the orders, and I'll start with the oldest first. And she looked at me, and I'm like, this man over here is 70 years old. He's the oldest. Started with me, the, the oldest first. You know, Frank has mentioned in the past about um, about meetings um, and 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 the, the details of and the demands of, of meetings. Um, whenever I would meet with Frank, and, and Frank would come to the meeting, and he would have like a little piece of paper. Sometimes it was kind of crumpled. I knew that was serious business uh, because it, it 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 was serious business, and he would hand me the little paper, and it was mostly like, "Yeah, you handle this." So I always knew that the, that the little piece of paper was, was something something very big. Uh, but I will say, from that the perspective of, of meetings and, and, and those demands, uh, Frank um, has tremendous administrative qualities, and that gave, always gave me great peace of mind um, about his ability to administer uh, the, the the ministry business of the church, but also the. The, the business of the church. Um, and with that, Frank, uh, I am truly grateful, and this church is really, truly grateful to you. Thank you. As uh, Joe's walking up, and then uh, Andrew following, uh, just share this, Frank. Um, from Heidi Kenner, uh, Canon Captain Kenner, um, wrote these words, uh, and there's a, I wish I had time to read all of it, but uh, she writes this. She wrote, Your solid, steadfast, and faithful preaching, teaching, and leadership has 
been an example and a source of strength for me in my ministry. Your encouragement has kept me going on more than one occasion, and I will always remember your parting words to me as I left for seminary to begin this journey of ministry. Don't let anyone take the cross away from you. I pray that by the grace and guidance of the Holy Spirit that I shall preach the cross until the day I die. She goes on to say uh, this to you, uh, a fond uh, memory. She said this, um, but perhaps one of my favorite memories of you is from St. Helena's. Each week as the recessional hymn ended, especially if it was one of your favorites, you would finish singing, snap your hymnal shut, spin it in the air and say, Amen. A sign of a good day of worship. Well, today in Montana, there will be a hymn book spin from me in your honor and a thankful Amen for God's work in and through you. I brought you a tissue in case you need it for this. Um, I went, I went through uh, all the s- stories over the years in my mind, and I, I couldn't think of one that um, had an appropriate rating for this venue uh, to share. Um, so I uh, this morning I was I was talking to Gus, our security guard, and he he said uh, he was going to really he was going to miss you. He'd known you the best because you were uh, the same yesterday and today and forever. I thought, you know, that sounds like somebody else I know. Um, so I, I thought that uh, since you are the same, she's, what he was saying is you hadn't changed in what he knows. That I would talk about uh, my first interactions with you. I was uh, in seminary. I'd been in seminary one uh, semester, and I, I called up to uh, some friends that had put us uh, put me in touch with you about an internship at St. Helena's, and you uh, you said. Uh, immediately, a preacher must understand the difference between preaching law and preaching grace. And uh, I said, oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I didn't know what that meant, but, um, <laughs> but little did I know that that was the first day of the rest of my life. Uh, that whole, um, and so I was driving down from seminary after the second semester at the beginning of the summer, and, and there's some reason I, we, we had to talk on the phone, and I, I called down, you asked, you said, um, so where are you staying? I said, well, I believe I'm staying at the Best Western there, uh, which you said was by the church. And, um, and, I, and you, you, we hung up. We ended the conversation and hung up. And a few minutes later, the phone rang again. And you said, why did you say you believe you're staying at the hotel? <laughs> I said, well, I believe I'm staying there because that's where you said your secretary was going to make a reservation for me. Silence. <laughs> Either you forgot to tell her or she forgot to do it. But uh, in the ensuing... Um, so I, I sort of expected that um, as I was going to get to know you, I was going to, you know, this, you were going to be sort of absent-minded professor type. And uh, in, in the ensuing 10 years, I think that's the only time you have ever dropped anything that you've ever said that you were going to do. Uh, that's why they said they called you Father Time House. At, uh, at St. Helena's. Oh, except there was that one time, you're so good with your calendar, there was the one time where Craig and Andrew and I were going to meet with you. I think it was it was before Deborah was hired. And we had a meeting and, and the three of us showed up, but you did not. And you were so, you're so good with your calendar that you were absolutely sure that three of us had simultaneously made a mistake. <laughs> 
it has been an, an impossible standard, really, to live up to. Uh, but I think it goes without saying that um, of all the men uh, and all the people that have had an influence on my life in Christ, uh, Frank, you, you are at the top of the list. And 20 years ago, if you had asked me, uh, what, what, was, what will it be like in 20 years when you talk about the man who has had the most influence on your life in Christ? I would have said it's a man who uh, taught me how to have discipline in reading the Bible and how to pray and how to fast or give or whatever it is. And, but here we are, and, and, and Frank, what you have taught me is, is how to repent. And I just am so grateful for that. And that all of those other good things come out uh, as a fruit of, of that of repentance, of gratitude for what we have been given in Christ. Uh, I've told many people, uh, I've told many people, I've told even my own parents uh, that you're like a father to me. And I, I just hope you keep your phone handy because you're going you're gonna to need it. I'll, I'll be calling. There are so many things that I'm going to miss about Frank. Uh, One of those things that I'll miss is actually being able to worship with you uh, in close proximity. Uh, If you've never heard Frank's singing voice, it's remarkable. Uh, Frank uh, sings like most of us sing in the shower. And the thing about Frank's singing voice is if you close your eyes, it sounds remarkably like Eartha Kitt. (laughs) And I will miss that. You know, Frank, like Neil Young, would rather burn out than fade away. And once while playing golf with him, I was looking through his golf bag, and in his bag I found this driver, eight and a half degrees, deep face, tore stiff shaft. And we also were playing from the back tees. And I said, you know, uh, Frank, I'm not trying to make a comment about your golf game, but, you know, it would be okay for you to get a regular flex shaft and a little more loft and maybe move forward on the tee box a little bit. And he looked at me and said, I'd rather die. <laughs> and every once in a while to, to sort of show his, his previous accolades in golf, he'll bring golf, he'll bring something out of the closet. And he showed me his starting tee sheet from an NCAA tournament when he was playing for Walford. And uh, you could tell it was maybe even before mimeographs it, it had been um, and, uh, and I asked him about the results and, and he couldn't tell me and so I asked Jane and I said Jane how did Frank do in that tournament and, I, and she said no I can't really remember and I said well I wonder what the prize would have been for a tournament like that and she said fire <laughs> Frank uh, now that you're leaving there are a couple things that we can go ahead and uh, own up to and one of those is um you're being responsible for the closing of the Piggly Wiggly in Crestline Village. <laughs> it is no coincidence. Uh, it is no coincidence that the closing uh, coincided with the dean's announcement of retirement, and the PBR forecast outlook not looking so great. <laughs> they decided it was not in their interest to keep their doors open. I think everybody has said it, and what we really love about Frank are the fact that he is honest about himself and he's honest about who God is. Uh, Frank uh, can come across sometimes as uh, self-deprecating, but uh, we know that that's really who he is. He puts himself out there. And Frank, I know that God doesn't grade on a curve, uh, but it's comforting having you around. (laughs) And... 
what you see is, is what you get with Frank. You see, the Christian life lived out is not this idea of perfection and look at how holy I am, but uh, look at how saved I am. Uh, look what God has saved me from. And that is because we also serve a great Savior. And Frank has never failed to put that out, uh, the message of God's grace to and for uh, sinners. And I know that um, they say all good things must come to an end. Uh, But I thank God that in Jesus that's not true. And so Jesus and the gospel message is bigger than any one man. And there's not a moment in my ministry, even when I didn't know Frank, where his name was not connected with my ministry. And so to serve alongside you and to know that uh, I stand on your shoulders like the rest of us and you stand on shoulders going uh, all the way back to the time of Jesus, uh, we put great faith in that gospel message that is Jesus and we thank God for you in sharing that message with us. The message that has to take has the power to take folks like Andrew and Frank and turn them into saints. Frank, there's so much more that I wish I had time to say, but this is your opportunity for rebuttal. Um, and so I invite you to come forward if, if you'd like um, to, to have a word. Um, <laughs> amen, uh, maybe. Um, one of the things, though, Frank, we're so very grateful um, of your focus. Again and again, reminding us that you're a great sinner and that we have a great Savior uh, and that that applies to all of us. And I share this uh, portion of Scripture With you from 1 Corinthians, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you're enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. And then he goes on. Paul says these words which have embodied um, your ministry. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And we're uh, so very grateful for that. Uh, Well done. And thank you, good and faithful servant. by the bell I don't know that I have a rebuttal I'm, I'm just deeply touched by by my friends and, and my colleagues and uh, if, I've, if I'm half of what any of you said that I was in terms of being uh, uh, in, helping you in your walk with Christ then I mean, the only thing I can say is what Jesus said about the servant who's been out in the field and he comes in and says you know you don't should you say thank you to someone you hired to work in the field when he comes in having done a good job and 
He said, no, what you say is I'm just an unworthy servant doing my duty. And that's, that's what I've done. But I have, I have found that preaching the gospel is about the easiest thing in the world to do because I've said it once, I'll say it again. If I had to depend on my insight and my, my wisdom, uh, my anything, when I climbed into that pulpit, then I couldn't do what I do. But I, but I know I don't have to have any insight. I don't have to have any uh, special uh, wisdom to give to you uh, I, because who needs it and who wants it. But there, there is a message from God, and that is that that God's power is made perfect in weakness. And you know what? I've got plenty of that. And so if, if that's what it takes to be a good minister, then I got a lot of it to give. And God's power is made perfect in weakness. And, and uh, I feel a bit like Gideon, you know, when he called Gideon, said, Gideon, come, I want you to be... I want you, I have a ministry for you, and you know where Gideon was, right? He was hiding in the wine press. <laughs> he said, Gideon, you man of valor, what are you doing hiding in the wine press? It's just, I don't know, over and over and again in the gospel, you see how God can take uh, miserable offenders and, and, and use them. And so I, I thank God for that. It's, it's easy to preach the gospel. And, and I thank God for all of you guys, and I thank God for all of you. And, God has blessed me by, by coming, and uh, and I guess that's it. No, no rebuttal. I could name each one of you by name and talk to you about about things and how much you've meant to me, but I thank God for, for you guys. God bless you, and I guess I'll get ready to ask for the next service. We're so grateful that all of you came. If, if you don't leave now, you stay for the 11. Um, let us go forth into the world uh, rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Thanks be to God.